Welcome to Descriptive, a podcast about JavaScript and other things. I'm your host, Khalil, and this is episode 12. We've never had this many active contributors to Core before. So today's guest is Michael Rogers. He is a JavaScript community organizer and the creator and curator of NodeConf and JSFest. Welcome to the show, Michael. Hey, thanks for having me on. Um, so what is... Um, how did you get started with programming? Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> that was that was a long time ago. Um, I was really young and uh, really young, like 12 or 13, and I uh, wanted to be a hacker. Um, and so I had like a buffer overflow um, and I was like trying to use it, but it wasn't working. And so I had to learn like how assembly programming works and how buffer overflows work to figure out how it worked. Um, so I kind of learned like assembly stuff first, um, okay. and then I learned C uh, shortly after that to to continue just you know hacking and writing exploits and stuff when I was super super young. Wow. Okay. <laughs> um, and and so how did you did you end up uh, studying computer science or something like that? How did how did you go? Where did you go from from there? Uh, absolutely not. No. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, from there, I just kind of uh, kept hacking and and writing little websites. Um, and then when I was uh, 14 or 15, I started working at like these little, well, they're just really one uh, little programming outfit in my small town. Uh, and they were doing like websites in PHP. Mm-hmm. So I started contracting for them a little bit um, and playing around. And then the, uh, the day after I turned 18, I, I moved to Seattle and started working for bigger companies. Um, worked at like a hosting company that got purchased by another big hosting company and so on. And, and like most people in the industry, ended up bouncing around a bunch of companies um, after that around Seattle at first. And then, um, then I moved down here about 10 years ago. Uh, and shortly after I moved here, I started working at the open source applications foundation, uh, on Chandler project for Mitch K4. Oh, okay. So, so what is that? Uh, that, that is a, it's, it's an epic travesty so great that they wrote a book about it. Um, okay. <laughs> um, there's a there's a book called Dreaming in Code um, by Chris Anderson. It's actually a really good book. Um, it's a, sort of about the the programming process, uh, but also about OSEF. Um, and that book sort of ends on the day that I arrive at OSEF, actually. Um, okay. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. But basically, uh, Mitch Kapor, who uh, founded Lotus Computing, uh, did Lotus One Two Three. Uh, he was also really instrumental in founding the the Mozilla Foundation. Um, he really wanted to do a open source personal information manager. So he wanted to do a PIM sort of a la one, two, three, but, you know, for the modern age, um, although in, you know, 2004, 2005, the modern age was still desktop applications. They, they weren't quite seeing that the, the future should be web apps yet. Um, when I, around the time that I joined, they started doing a web version. Um, and yeah, we, we worked really hard on this thing for a long time. I worked with some of the smartest people I've ever met in my whole life. Uh, I mean, when I, when I first came in to interview, I think there were three people from the original Macintosh team, like with their names on the board on the back and stuff. Um, wow. And I thought I was kind of hot at the time, uh, but I wasn't anything. Uh, so <laughs> it was a great kind of humbling experience. But, but then also, you know, an, an educational experience in that, you know, you can have a room full of incredibly smart people um, and make a huge amount of other mistakes that aren't just code related that will lead to your project inevitably failing. Um, mm-hmm. and that's, that's sort of what happened. Um, but you know, being an open source project, it was built out of a lot of other tiny open source projects that all of us built. Um, and all of those tiny projects ended up having a much longer lifetime, um, than Chandler itself did. So. Okay. And w- what was that written in? Was that C 
or oh no, it was in python so python. it was a python desktop application um and then the the website of it was was very very heavy uh, on javascript i mean it was basically um like google calendar now but before google calendar um Wow. So, I mean, this is, you know, in 2005, 2006, we were doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, so really cutting edge on the, on the website. Um, but the back end for the web was all actually in Java. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was it was back in those days. Cool. And uh, and what, what happened there? Are you still there or? No, 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 no. <laughs> no, uh, I was there for a couple of years. Um, eventually, it just wasn't wasn't happening. It, it just wasn't taking off. It wasn't seeing the kind of uh, the kind of sustainable uh, stuff that Mitch really wanted to see. And so eventually Mitch, uh, made the hard decision to cut the funding. Um, and then when they cut the funding, we sort of decided like who's going to stay and who's going to go. Um, myself and, uh, Adam Christian, who's now the, the VP of engineering at, uh, sauce labs, we had both written, uh, these amazing test tools. And then we had just spent like six months making the test tools easy enough for the developers to write tests themselves so that we didn't have to write them all. Um, and so it just made absolutely no sense for us to still be there if we were cutting you know, two thirds of the workforce. <laughs> we had automated everything and what we couldn't automate, we had made it easy enough for the developers to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it was, it was time for us to go though anyway. So um, I ended up going to Mozilla after that. Ah, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that you were at Mozilla. So are you still there or are you? No, 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 no. Uh, I was in Mozilla for a couple of years. Um, okay. So the, the test tool that I built uh, when we were at OSAF was called Windmill, and it was a Selenium competitor, but it was it was very fancy on the sort of smart proxy side. Um, so you could do kind of like you could hack in cross-domain testing um, in this like, you know, very insane proxy that would sort of spoof forwarding and stuff. It was really complicated, um, but it worked really well. And, and at the time, it was actually quite a bit better than Selenium. Um, but Selenium, mm. you know, eventually caught up and, and definitely had more people using it. Um, but anyway, so so having written that, um, Mozilla really wanted something that could automate all of the, the buttons outside of the browser context. So not just automating, you know, click testing all around a website, but also, you know, the back button, the forward button, getting into, you know, the the pr- uh, property dialogues and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, it, it sort of, I was hired there and it fell on me to write that tool. So that, that tool was called Mosmill. And I believe it's still actually being used for that same kind of testing there now. So, ah, okay, cool, mm-hmm. very interesting. And and what happened then? Um. So after that, um, well, really, what happened was uh, I'd been doing a lot of CouchDB stuff. I was starting to to collect a lot more data in oh. terms of test results uh, and playing around with CouchDB. And um, my a couple really good friends of mine that I'd made from the CouchDB community, um, they were sort of starting up a company around CouchDB and they offered uh, to make me the first employee there. Um, and it was a really exciting opportunity. And um, also around this time, Node had started to take off. And mm-hmm. um, it was very clear that I, I did not want to write Python anymore right away, <laughs> like right away. Like within like a day of writing Node, I, I decided that I should not write Python anymore. Um, and a lot of my job at Mozilla was still maintaining, you know, a, a lot of Python code that I'd written. Um, and so it, it made a lot of sense to, you know, join my friend's company. It sounded really fun, uh, you know, be it like a really young new startup. It sounded really great. Um, and also, you know, have a chance to dive even deeper in, into Node um, and build out, you know, a lot of new stuff um, using that. So that's what happened. Um, mm. I, I went to, to CouchDB, um, the CouchDB company, and I worked there for about a year until the acquisition um, and decided not to continue after it was acquired. Um, so how does how how was Node.js used there? 
Um, so we, it was sort of like glue, you know, we used it in every place that, that we could stick things together. Um, so there was a, there was a backend infrastructure built, uh, for CouchDB, um, that used a bunch of node to kind of glue all the nodes together. Um, that eventually became Iris Couch, like way down the line. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we used it for random testing. Um, also, you know, I, I was well involved, like in, in the common JS standard stuff, through all of the node stuff and then ended up implementing sort of common JS modules that you can embed into CouchDB design documents. So CouchDB has this, this idea of like a fully self-hosted app. Um, and so we added a module system that was basically compatible with nodes module system. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that was, that was where a lot of the overlap there kind of occurred. Okay. And, and were you involved with, with like uh, the node community from the beginning then? From, from then on? Uh, I mean, or? beginning is relative, right? I mean, the beginning for, for Isaac was when it was, you know, just a couple people on a mailing list still poking around at it. I think uh, mm-hmm. I got involved, you know, right after the the first kind of public demonstration at uh, JSConf EU in 2009. Right. So right around there, I got involved. And um, really, I mean, I knew HTTP very, very well. Like the that, that project that I built, uh, Windmill, the, the smart proxy, I, I had to learn like a lot of the weird corners uh of HTTP, and also you know couchdb was was all HTTP as transport as well um so i know i knew a lot of the weird sort of very very weird parts of HTTP. um you know like head requests you know should <laughs> like the fact that a head request should have a content length but it doesn't actually have a body and things like that um so i started finding and fixing uh bugs in the core HTTP implementation mm-hmm. um eventually decided to write a request, um, request, a root request before we even had NPM actually. So it was just like a thing on GitHub that people were pulling down all the code for. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that like evolved with Node as Node went along um, and eventually ended up uh, getting involved in the really early streams work as well. So. Oh yeah, okay. And yeah. Uh, re- request, is that is that now in Node or is that still separate? It's still a separate module. It's it's one of the most dependent on modules in the ecosystem. I okay. mean, even npm actually uses it. Um, mm-hmm. So it's it's very well <laughs> entrenched, uh, but it is a, a third party module still. And when did the the work on the common JS module format begin? Well, it began before I got there, but it took a big turn when Node came around, right? I mean, mm-hmm. um, as Isaac likes to put it, you know, Common JS basically formed to find Node. We we had this vision that there were going to be a bunch of different platforms implementing the standard, but what ended up happening was that everybody just went to Node, and Node became sort of a de facto standard. Mm-hmm. So there are things in Node's module system now that actually aren't part of the Common JS standard, um, and and you know we're all okay with that. I mean, it's it's sort of become a de facto standard. You know, Browserify doesn't actually use common JS modules, quote unquote. It it uses you know Node modules. Right. Um, so, so what is an example of what what's different? Uh, so that the module dot exports equals. So if you want to make the return value just be a function, which is you know actually kind of the unofficial um, best practice is to you know make every module just sort of export a single function um, that does one thing and then you can hang other properties off of it if you want to do you know non-default behavior mm-hmm. um, but that's actually something that we just put in node it's not part of the common js standard okay okay so what what uh, what are you supposed to give back then like an object uh, so by default right you get this export object in the scope 
So um, in your module scope, there's this export object and you can add properties to it. Oh, okay. um, but, okay. but, that, but that means that it's always going to be this sort of grab bag um, of properties. And, and one of the great things um, about the Node ecosystem is that you have a lot of small modules that do one thing, right? Which is sort of counterintuitive to the pattern of export a bunch of things, you know, yeah. export one thing and export this function. Um, so yeah, and that's, that's added and it's actually off the standard. So. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I get it. And uh, so you were at Couch to be, and what 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 happened then? Um. Wow. Uh, there was there was a bunch of different stuff actually that happened. I mean, um, one of the most significant things that happened is that I, I ran a conference when I was at um, at Couch to be uh, for for Couch to be called Couch Camp. That was the first conference that I ran, and, and I ran, actually ran it at, at Walker Creek Ranch, um, where we still run conferences today. Okay. Um, and that that went really well, and um, it sort of got back to Chris Williams who had created JSConf that, you know, I ran a fun conference basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really wanted to, to run a conference for Node after that. But there, were, there was just a lot of stuff that I had no idea how to do. Um, I mean, to, to put it in perspective, when we did Couch Camp, like, um, I just had a corporate credit card, you know, I could, I could just put all the deposits on it. We weren't worried about making or saving money. We, we kind of actually broke even, but you know, we weren't getting sponsors. We weren't really doing proper budgeting. It was just, Hey, spend some money and, and here's a card. Um, okay. so I, I, so I started working with Chris Williams, um, to figure out, you know, how you get sponsors and how you run a budget and how you, you know, pay for all this stuff and, um, you know, form an LLC to run it all under and all that kind of stuff. Um, but that was for so NodeConf or was that for... for that was for, for NodeConf, yeah, okay. for the first NodeConf. Um, so that was NodeConf 2010 uh, in Portland. And it actually, it was run side by side with JSConf. So we pooled a lot of our resources for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually went to Portland and scouted all the venues and took like a million pictures and then talked about them with Chris for a while to, to get all the JSConf party venues and stuff. Oh, okay. Um, so we, we did a lot of work together on that one, and Chris was really instrumental in, in making it all happen. Um, and then, uh, yeah, it went, it went swimmingly well. Uh, we were very, very happy. Uh, we decided to do sort of a stripped-down event called uh, NodeConf Summer Camp uh, back at Walker Creek a few months later. It was also very fun. Um, and that was more of a sort of unconference where a lot of you know, people really central to Node got together and, and just sort of hashed out a lot of weird details. Um, so, you know, the really early streamed conversations happened there. The really early, uh, what eventually became domains uh, happened there. So, sorry. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, there, there was just a lot. Um, we, we, we ran that for two years. Um, and then it was just, you know, not really conceivable that you could get everyone together in a room anywhere, um, you know, and, and have them all work together at this point. Like Node had just gotten too big. We couldn't, there was nowhere that could fit everybody really central and there was no way to convince everybody really central to be in one place. Um, so we stopped doing that and started doing the regular NodeConf there. Okay. And where mm-hmm. is this Walker Creek uh, location? Uh, so Walker Creek is in the Marin Headlands um, up in Marin County. So if you, if you go to San Francisco and then you cross the Golden Gate, um, you, you're all of a sudden just in this you know, beautiful, beautiful area. Uh, mm-hmm. If you keep going up the coast a bit and then just pop in a little bit inland once you hit uh, like Point Reyes, uh, you'll basically be you know, where the, the ranch is. And you know, there's no cell service out there. There's no, uh, it's, it's really, you know, it is a summer camp for kids. Um, Mm-hmm. And uh, and we run like these just amazing events there. I mean now, now a lot of people bring their whole family. The the kids track and the and the significance of the track is really really popular. And it's really this like family kind of friendly come together um, event that we do. So this this year it'll actually be called uh, NodeConf Adventure that we do up there. Okay. And we're gonna do a NodeConf with speakers right before it uh, here in Oakland in the Fox Theater. 
Oh, okay. So yeah. So so what is the experience like? Because I've been listening to to Node Up. I think mm -hmm. a Node Up uh, podcast episode where where they were talking mm -hmm. about NodeConf, and it sounds like it's a, a special experience. So, what what is it? Yeah. What is how does it work? What happens when you <laughs> get there? Well, so starting in 2013, um, I decided to take a break from from having NodeConf be a speaking event, and we wanted to do something more hands on. You know, like re like. Uh, Like conference talks are great, but all you can really do is get somebody excited about a subject. You can't really make them leave feeling comfortable with how to use something. So we wanted to go, okay, how do we create a hands-on event where people really sit down and do something and then leave, you know, feeling totally educated and how to, and how to get stuff done. Mm -hmm. um, so we, we came up with this, um, with this sort of eight track format where um, everybody was jumbled up and you'd get this schedule and it didn't tell you what you were going to. It just told you where to be at different times. Um, and so you would go to, you know, eight of these sessions and they were each, you know, these um, at the time they were hour long sessions. Um, and uh, so every, and this was really hard to get um, people that, you know, would have been speakers doing because usually you prepare a conference talk, you give it, you're done. These people are basically going to work all day doing like, you know, a hands-on training eight times over again. Um, and you know, we, we've got like two or three people running each one and they have to collaborate on materials ahead of time. So a lot of people found different ways to collaborate on materials, you know, like shared slide decks or just like bringing back and forth notes. And then one person just did it all. Uh, but Substack, uh, really just was annoyed by this whole prospect of, of like shipping slides back and forth and stuff. And so mm. he decided to just write a module that was uh, an interactive tutorial and in how to learn streams. Mm -hmm. um, and th this, of course, ended up being like, you know, the most popular thing that happened there. Mm -hmm. um, so that was Stream Adventure. And it was, it's, you know, like a choose your own adventure style game where you, you know, program and, and it tests your program and it makes sure that you actually know how streams work. Mm -hmm. um, so that was really cool. And um, Rod Vag uh, loved it and, and was so sort of inspired by it that he went off and, and wrote an abstract way to continue building workshops like that. And then at... Um, at uh, JS Camp in Australia, um, he ended up doing a, a, an introduction to Node, basically. And then Tim Oxley did a, a one on functional programming. And so by the time that, um, you know, this is three months after NodeConf, by the time that we go to Dublin for NodeConf EU um, in Ireland, we uh, we had a bunch of them. We were like, man, we need a name and like an umbrella for all these to go under. And that was kind of how Node School started, was, you know, all of these amazing workshops. Um, and, and then we started seeing, you know, people running local events and, and it just really blew up. And now it's this huge, huge community, um, of people that, you know, both create learning materials and then also, you know, do localized events to, to help teach people and, and run education in like this really distributed open source way. Um, so we were really inspired by that last year when we did NodeConf again. Um, and so when we, when we came back to Walker Creek, we said, okay, everybody's doing a workshop for this time. So we're going to do eight sessions again, but we're going to. We're going to make them a little shorter um, and we're going to do them all in a workshopper format. So when we leave here, there will be eight new workshoppers for people to do um, at home and, and Node School will have eight more. And that really jump started like a lot of new material um, coming out. So I think we're probably three times where we were um, after NodeConf last year now because like everybody, you know, now there are three different libraries for you to build them with depending on kind of your programming style. There's also people that are going through and internationalizing all of them. It's really been fantastic. Um, so NodeConf last year was, was really sort of like Node School Conf a little bit. Um, mm. 
And, and this year, um, you know, we're doing a speaking event again because there's a lot of people that, you know, won't come to just a hands-on event. And, and we do want to reach them and, and bring them into the community. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're doing a speaking event at, at the Fox Theater. And then we're going to go back up there. Um, and this year is going to be a lot more relaxed. I think that, you know, because we have the formal speaking event, because we've been doing this a long time now, we, we sort of know that the main point in a lot of people going up there is really just to hang out. And so we have, we're going to have a lot of extra kind of hack time um, and, and time for people to just sort of socialize and sit down and code things together. And, and we're going to really encourage that workflow with the format this year. I mean, the, the thing about NodeConf is that it's never the same thing twice. So every year I end up tweaking it and, and improving it a little bit. So. Mm. Wow. So, sounds really uh, very, like a very friendly event and, and very... Um... Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the the event is really magical because of the part part of it is because of the venue. I mean, the community is great, and we do have an amazing community. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, just being up at the ranch, like you know, you're you're out in the woods, and there's all the trees around and everything, and you know, people are staying in the bunk beds, and it's just uh, it's it's a really really great thing. And everybody, you know, people bring all their kids and stuff too. It's just a really friendly event. So, so, so how much work does that end up to be? Is that is that all you do throughout the year? Like no, 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 no. Uh, God, no. Um, <laughs> no, it's it is a huge amount of work, but um, a lot of it is really um, you know work on organizing is really getting you know other people on the same page and other people collaborating with each other, mm-hmm. um, and that that shows in you know when we do the when we do the like those events. The hands-on events. Um, it's two or three people in a workshop collaborating together to, to do a training, basically. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of it is getting you know those people comfortable with each other and working together when we organize something like that. Um, when I organize NodeConf, when I do a speaking event, um, I usually put content into blocks or acts. So there will be three talks about this, a similar subject together. Um, and then I actually try to get those speakers to collaborate with each other so that they can lead in and out of each other's talks. Um, and then with uh, with JS Fest, which is a newer event, which is a bit more stripped down, but it's it's basically like a week of small micro events. So nothing is more than a day. There's a bunch of half day events, and there it's really about um, getting people new to organizing and running events really comfortable with building out content and running it and introducing people and all that kind of stuff. So you know I take care of the venue and the parties and and all of the sort of financial infrastructure around it, and it's just like here's your topic and your event. Like you go out and find great speakers and and line them all up and um it's it's a really great way of of sort of onboarding people that are newer to organizing conferences as well um it it allows you to get your sea legs without having to like deal with all the budgeting which is a real pain Hmm. cool and um so after after working at couchdb Mm -hmm. um what what did you do then um, so I had a, a very small stint at Yammer, but then, um, I had a little startup with, uh, Max Ogden. Um, and like most startups, you know, it failed. Uh, so <laughs> after about 18 months, it failed. Um, but it was a really good learning experience in like what, what I'm good at and what I'm not good at. Um, okay. So, so and, what, what, did you, what did you try to, to do with that startup? I, t- I tried to be the CEO and I'm not the CEO. Um, oh, oh no, I mean, what, what was the product basically? Was the oh, the product was, um, it, w- it was quite interesting actually. It was, um, uh, well, th- the best way to describe it is that it was basically Swarm. So Swarm now is, is basically what we try to do. Um, they've, they've learned a bit from uh, both our, our failures and a couple other apps in the same space. But, but basically it, it was a way of, it's called Gather, and it was a way of saying, hey, I'm going to be in this place 
like who my friends want to come out uh, and, and come to it. So adding the sort of like network and broadcast effects and, and layering on top of Twitter and Facebook to get as many people as possible that you know in an area to something. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually like the kind of same day stuff, right? So not like meetup.com where it's like every month on this day we do something. It's mm-hmm. more like I'm going to be at this bar tomorrow. Who wants to talk JavaScript? Okay. And you tried to be the CEO and that didn't work out for you. Yeah. I mean, like I'm, I'm not, I mean, so at the time they didn't have as many um, of these great companies that you can offload a lot of this work to. So they, mm-hmm. they didn't have as many of the sort of like finance companies that you can outsource all this crap to. Um, and so I ended up dealing with just a lot of sort of administrative stuff myself. Um, and that was really not ideal. Mm-hmm. Uh, not an ideal at all. Um And um, I think that I, at the time, I really hadn't been around a great CEO um, in that, like, I I didn't really get to see anybody um, work with their board and work with their investors and advisors to really get, like, the the best advice and and share that with their team. Um, After after we, we had that company... I was the CTO at a startup called Gettable, uh, and had a real, has a, still has a really great CEO um, named Tim Heyer, who built an amazing board and has amazing investors, um, and he maintains really really great relationships with them. And and like I that was one thing that I didn't do very well. Like we learned, me and Max learned a lot from each other and from our friends, but we we had a lot that we could have learned um, from our investors and and just other people that were interested that you know were getting a hold of us, um, and we really didn't take enough advantage of that. So. Okay. And was that, did, did your product have anything, uh, did it have a node backend then, I guess? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> okay. everything that I built for the last like five years has been in node. So. node. <laughs> um, it was node and, and it was also in, in PhoneGap on the front end and, and Max was really obsessed with making um, a PhoneGap app feel native and look native and, and in certain cases even load faster than native. So. Oh, cool. Did that, did that yeah. work? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a lot of, at the time, it was a lot of manual work on, on Max's part and a lot of kind of figuring really weird stuff out. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I think a lot more of that is uh, modularized and, and available. And there there really wasn't much of an ecosystem at the time. Like, there there wasn't a great uh, way to package up functionality and reuse it in PhoneGap the way, well, in Cordova, I guess. Um that as there is now like now it's great actually i mean and max had a lot to do with that um because he was constantly talking with brian larue and a lot of the cordova people about like how to do this or that better and mm-hmm. and now they're they use npm to back everything as well and, and we really push them down that whole down that as well because we were using browser for all of our stuff at the time and that was how we were um trying to package up this functionality so mm-hmm. now there's an ecosystem now you could probably pull a lot of the stuff that took a lot of time for max to figure out himself and, and just use it Wow, cool. <clears throat> and um, okay, so then after that, you went to this company called Getter. You said, uh, Gettable, yeah, yeah. It, it was, it was, yeah, yeah. It was, it was very interesting. Um, really great company. Really started to take off. Um, started to take off so much that um, I, I really had to decide if I was just going to be the CTO of this company or if I was going to continue doing community work because it was, it was to the point where. Oh. There was it was more than a full time job just being the CTO. So you know, like I I really needed to stop going to conferences and traveling. Um, really needed to stop you know a lot of the writing and and community work that I do there. Um, the the community organizing and even running the conferences. Like I was gonna have to really give it all up if I wanted to do that job properly. Um, and you know it, there was no like ultimatum from anybody. It was just I knew that this is where things were going and I could tell. Um, and at the time like. Uh, you know, a, a very good friend of mine um, 
uh, took his own life at the time. And everybody around us was just sort of very depressed for a while and then kind of struggling to come back and be happy again. And I think all of us really ended up reprioritizing a lot of our lives around the things that made us happy. Mm-hmm. Um, and realized then that, um, you know, one of the things that, that really makes me happy is doing community organizing and, and working with the open source community. Um, and not so much the, the CTO stuff. Like I can actually be a, a pretty good CTO. I just, I'm, I'm not as passionate about it as I am about this other set of things. So, mm-hmm. Um, so I made the decision like to leave and it was very amicable. Um, and, uh, after there really found a job where I could, you know, do sort of full-time evangelism stuff. Um, and so just spent a year, about a year, uh, working for DigitalOcean, uh, running like their evangelism stuff. Um, and just now actually stepped away and to take a month off and really focus on getting NodeConf working well, um, and be like a really great conference. Um, and then uh, probably look for something new next month. Um, oh, okay. So you left DigitalOcean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, just, just very recently. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, yeah. But there's um, now uh, Angelina Fabro is running uh, evangelism there now, who, and she's amazing. Uh, <laughs> she was running uh, evangelism for Mozilla for a short time before coming over, and she's really, really good. So they're in great shape over there. Okay, cool. <laughs> when is when is NodeConf happening? Uh, June, so early June. Um, uh, oh God, I I need to bring up the dates real quick. Yeah. I should know this by heart by now. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, the speaking event, I believe, is June eighth and ninth. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's June eighth and ninth. And then um, NodeConf Adventure, which is the the bit up at Walker Creek Ranch, that's uh, the eleventh through the fourteenth. And the speaking event is going to be really great. I mean, we're going to have some really amazing forward-looking talks. Um, and we're also going to have sort of like a, a sound score and like transition music between all the, the speakers. Oh, that's great. Um, yeah, done by uh, Ben Michel, who's, who did, uh, did Real-Time Conf as well. So Real-Time Conf actually has like a soundtrack that got released for it. Um, and he did that conference. It was fantastic. Oh, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So are you choosing the speakers? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, NodeConf, I still um, hand curate all of it myself. Um, mm. JS Fest is much more distributed. There's a lot of different people that um, run each individual event. Uh, okay, cool. Yeah, I saw that um, Matthias Boos is going to, to, to give a talk. Yes, yes. So we've announced Matthias and, uh, and Cassandra Perch. Um, and we'll be announcing some more pretty soon. Um, some core people are going to be there. Um, I have to verify, but yeah, there, there's some really great core people that are going to do speaking as well. So, cool, cool. Yeah, Matthias was a guest on the podcast as well. He uh, was talking. Oh, great. About, yeah, he was. It was very cool. I was talking about his peer-to-peer stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, He's I, done. I saw, I saw him at uh, JSCon for so the JSCon video that he, JSCon for you of the talk he gave last year, which was uh, pretty mind blowing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Crazy. No, I've I've cool. been blown away by a lot of his stuff. So like, I didn't, I didn't know if he would be around, and so he wasn't a speaker uh, officially for NodeConf One Shot uh, that we just did here in Oakland a little while back uh, as part of JS Fest. Um, but uh, Dominic Tarr and Substack were giving talks, and both of them got just horribly sick. Uh, and so very like last minute, like the morning of uh, Max Ogden and Matthias filled in, and Matthias did like just an amazing talk that he just made up right then, uh, where you know, he like tethered to Max's phone and started uploading this half a gig 
Docker image, um, but then he started a server that was using it like all just in time, getting all the, the resources and assets. And it was really cool. It was a great talk. Awesome. Okay, so so now you're basically you're concentrating on 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 NodeConf and uh, when is JS Fest? Is that is when is that happening? Is that also has that something to do with NodeConf or JSConf or is that just separate? Well, like, like a lot of stuff that I do, um, you know, there's more than just the ones that I run. You know, like Node, I started NodeConf, but you know, there's a NodeConf EU and there's a NodeConf India, um, and now we do this thing called NodeConf OneShot, which is like a very stripped down one day event. And there's there's been like eight of those just all around the world. Um, but uh, so JS Fest uh, that I do. Um, I did one in San Francisco and then probably won't do that one again uh, and did one in Oakland though back in December and that was just great. Um, and so we'll do it again this year. We'll probably do a little bit earlier though, like probably October, uh, but we don't have final dates yet for that. Uh, cool. But there's also a JS Fest uh, around JSConf EU now. So there's like a week of small events. Uh, yes, the yes. JS Fest umbrella. Yeah, yeah. yeah so that was, uh, that happened last year already as well. Yep, yeah. yep, yep. And, uh, and I, I, I'm sure it'll happen again this year. Um, mm -hmm. And there are also, um, I'm, I'm, I think that there's probably going to be, my guess is that the next JSConf Asia will do a full week as well as like a JS Fest thing. Uh, and there's a couple other places that have been talking about bundling more stuff together. Awesome. Uh, are you on, on all those conferences? You know, conference <laughs> no 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 i mean uh with jazz fest it's really just like it's an idea about doing you know like there's there's some basic kind of guidelines like you know it should be really uh open to the community in terms of uh like organizing stuff and bringing new events to the table um and that it should be around a city so there's not there shouldn't be a js fest and then some country right there shouldn't be or there shouldn't be like a js fest eu it really should be about a city mm -hmm. um and the, the city really makes that part of the identity of the conference mm -hmm. okay um yep. <clears throat> so is that what you consider um the work uh, the javascript community organizer work this uh, whole festival organization stuff and JS Fest and stuff like that, or is there is there some other aspects to it? I mean, that's a big part of it, but there's other stuff. I mean, there's local stuff that we do um, just here in Oakland. I've actually, I now rent a, a space permanently um, that I live on top of that's like 2,500 square feet that we're building out right now to do more local events in um, and more kind of continuous events. Cool. So we do a lot of organization around, you know, events and small workshops and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, and Node School, like I, I've been involved in that for a while and putting those together. Um, and, and also the, the, a big part of the organizing work is um, just IOJS stuff. Like um, the IOJS project is, is growing so fast that um, it's hard to really just keep up. Um, and so what I, what I try to do over there is really identify places where it's hard for people to contribute or it's hard for people to get involved or there's some, kind of this mess that needs to get cleaned up before people can really move on. Um, and so I've been doing a, a ton of work over in IOJS to make sure that all that continues to run smoothly. Um, and, and it's showing. I mean, we, we have a lot of parallelized effort from a huge community all hmm. pitching in and getting a ton of stuff done. So hmm. it's really great to see. Yeah, so we have to talk about IOJS. So um, I know you've been on a lot of podcasts recently talking about it, but I mm -hmm. think I, uh, I think it would be good if you could, for 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 you know listeners of this show, um, start at the beginning again and and just give a brief overview of how IOJS got started and why it got started. 
Yeah, sure. Yeah. And, and I mean, all of those podcasts, they record like two weeks before they go out. And then by the time that they're out, the, the information is actually outdated on, oh, on okay. all the stuff that we talked about. You know, like we just did a JavaScript Jabber one and, and the guy was asking for ARM6 builds. And like between the time, then we were like, yeah, we don't have those yet. And then between the time that that went at, that we recorded it and then it went out, like ARM6 builds landed in, in IOD. Okay, of course. Um, <laughs> so there's just all this information that ends up being outdated by the time that it actually goes out. But, um, yeah, I mean, uh, so the, the, the Node community is the fastest growing community probably um, in the history of open source. If you look at, uh, I've, I spent a lot of time looking at the metrics around NPM and how fast the ecosystem is growing, and it's really unprecedented. Um, so we have this giant community, and it's, it's growing faster than anything in history. And yet, you know, a lot of us uh, a year or so ago became really concerned about the core project, like, like Node.js itself. Um, releases had really stopped, new contributors, like we weren't adding new contributors at all. The existing contributors were starting to fall off. Um, really nobody was happy um, with the state of things. And we, we, we had a really long laundry list of complaints and, and everybody, everybody ordered their list a little bit differently and had different, you know, top level problems. Um, but the underlying issue really became, and once we got everybody in a room together, like last July, the underlying problem really was we need to be responsible for fixing all these problems. Like right now, we're, we're just sort of saying, hey, this is a huge problem and we're upset about it. And, but the only person enabled to fix it right now is Joyant. And so we really felt like the people that were doing the work and the people in that room and the broader community really needed to be able to take responsibility for a huge amount of those problems. Um, and they really weren't. There were like real technical and legal barriers to us, to us doing that. Um, so what we really tried to do at the time uh, was just you know convince um, convince Joint to, to give it over to a new structure, um, technical governance structure that uh, would allow the people that are doing the work to really govern the project. Um, we, and that negotiation took a very, you know, we, we tried for a very long time to make that happen. Eventually, Scott uh, Hammond, the CEO over at Joint, started an advisory board with businesses so that they could try to weigh in on this as well. And so um, out of the first meeting, uh, we started this this governance document uh, that at the time I believe we called like the bootstrap governance document, um, and uh, and then when it when it came up at the advisory board we really started with that and then iterated on it even more, and uh, around Thanksgiving uh, we were really, we were all getting very very tired of waiting the the advisory board process was taking an exceptionally long amount of time to get anything real done and we really wanted to start to get to work and start to solve a lot of these community problems. Um, and at some point, uh, Fyodor had just had enough and he decided to start landing all of his patches in a fork called IOJS. And, uh, at that time uh, we all sort of realized right away, like, okay, well, wherever Fyodor is landing patches is probably where everybody should land patches and where we should focus all of our effort <laughs> because Fyodor is one of the most prolific people, uh, working on code right now. You know, if, if he's not involved, like, you know, I don't think that any of us want to be involved. So... Uh, we all hopped on really quick um, and came up with like a quick release plan, and we adopted the open governance structure that we'd been working on for quite a while at that point. It was that it, it, it had actually been refined in in the Node.js advisory board at some point as well. Um, and since then, we've made a few tweaks to it here and there, but it's it's mostly held up. Um, and in uh, and part of the governance structure is like we need to be able to iterate on this governance structure and make it better over time. Um, and, you know, a big thing that's come out in the last month or so is this idea of working groups, because there's way too much work going on 
for all of it to hit a funnel in like the technical committee that's that's handling these really weird underlying core problems. And we also don't want to create this hierarchy where the TC sits on top of everybody um, and sort of lords over them. So we created this idea of working groups that are basically autonomous. And, and what happens is that we're saying, look, you're responsible for this work now. Um, like, you know, run it how you see fit. Um, start with this governance structure and then edit it and change it as you feel necessary. Um, and so now there's all of this, and it allows us to parallelize a ton of the work, right? Because there's a huge section of the community that doesn't care about these really low level, like changes that are happening in V8 and what they mean to the versioning and all that kind of stuff, right? Like that's what the technical committee is really like focused on doing. Mm -hmm. So, but there's a ton of people that just want to work on streams. Um, and it's great to give them a way to work on streams and to even get involved in the governance and, and sort of roadmap and future thinking around streams without, you know, getting involved in every other part of the project and every other part of the platform like like the TC has to deal with. So uh so yeah, I mean we have we have a tracing and debugging working group that that is going really well. There's a bunch of people from Google involved in that actually because there's a lot of really great tracing work going into V8 that we're starting to integrate with. Mm -hmm. Um there's the, like I said there's a streams working group, there's um we started spinning up internationalization groups, so there's actually independent autonomous groups for every spoken language. And then those people produce like a bunch of localizations and they organize all their work autonomously. And, and a lot of them are getting like a ton done. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, we, we had almost 150 people sign up the first day that we had those. Um, and, you know, we have over 30 languages now. Um, and, uh, you know, every time we do a weekly update within a day, it, it's translated into four or five languages. And, you know, I think about a dozen by the end of the week. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's been going very, very well. There's, oh yeah, there also very importantly, there's an autonomous build group. So there's a lot of people dealing with the build infrastructure, which is getting even more massive and is really cobbled together from all of these different, you know, don't like donations from different companies. Um, and that group is also totally autonomous and they're doing great work. So. Yeah. Wow. There's uh there's a lot of stuff going on there. And um, mm -hmm. so, so, um, Okay, so let me let me think. What is my next question? Basically, what what is the what is the difference now between between? I mean, besides, uh, what I know is that that IOJS um, has the the newest version of V eight in there, the newest stable version. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes. Yes. So, um, I mean, so the projects are run totally differently. I mean, right. they could not be run more differently. Um, but then, but then the, the actual sort of like binary build that you get at the end of the day, um, or, you know, just the tarball that you, that you download it doesn't have to be a binary build. Um, the main differences there are, yes, we take a, a much newer V8. Um, we also have a ton of extra fixes and stability improvements over what uh, went into the 011 line and, and now the 12. Um, we also have uh, LTT and G tracing. Um, so we have Linux tracing, which is really, really important. Um, we have various streams improvements. Uh, we've actually, <clears throat> so this is sort of getting into some history, but when Isaac wrote streams three um, for the 012 release, stream, actually he wrote streams two and then streams three uh, for 010 and 012, he wrote it as an independent module called readable stream. Um, and now that has, you know, actually officially become the stream implementation and that repository has moved over. And that was always a real pain before. Like there would be all this work that was happening in this third party module and it was a real fight to get it actually into core. So now like 
you know, IOJS slash readable stream. That is the stream working group, actually, and, and the reference implementation for streams. And then whenever they say that a release is stable, we bundle it back into an IOJS release. So there are various stream improvements, including there's a, a new way to do stream creation that's a lot simpler and less error prone. So that's been really great to see happen. So does that, um, mean, so does that mean that using streams in IOJS now will become different to, to Node.js? No, I mean, they, they should remain compatible. I mean, most of the work that we've been doing is actually about ensuring compatibility between all the various flavors of streams that have come up in the ecosystem. Okay. So all you're really going to see is less breaks between things. Um, <clears throat> and for really new people writing new streams, you, you might see them depending on IOJS um, just because we have this simpler way to do it. Um, but the, the actual usage of streams hasn't changed at all. Oh, okay. um, and that's... Um, we're considering doing that, but but obviously we'd have to maintain backward compatibility. But um, there's there's a, a the what working group is working on a browser version of streams, right? And so Dominic De Nicola has gotten involved in uh, he's been writing that spec in at the what working group, and he's been really involved in IOJS lately. Um, and he's in the streams working group as well. And so we're talking about doing a reference implementation of uh, the new stream standard for what working group and making sure that there aren't any weird incompatibilities that we can't figure out. Um, and because right now we can fix them in the spec and actually change the spec to, to guarantee interoperability. But our window to do that is closing as browsers actually start implementing this stuff. So, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so streams will work. So streams will work uh, mm -hmm. similar in the browser, or just the same as in Node.js or what is the, the goal? Oh, the API is a little different, but um, it, it the what working group streams are very much based on what we've learned from node streams mm -hmm. in a way they're better um because they've been able to learn from a lot of the mistakes that we made mm -hmm. um but the api is a little different okay cool um so so my understanding is that that uh, iojs is always going to it's it's, it's basically it's introducing fixes. It's uh, mm -hmm. uh, like a more stable, more modern ver version of Node.js, and mm -hmm. and um, but it's it's definitely trying to stay, like the API is staying compatible, right? To Node.js, it's yeah, not going to yeah. be it's not going to be a fork that's going to be at some point, maybe in two years, if if Joyent still pretends like IOJS is not uh, existent or something like that, mm -hmm. that that you're going to be a totally different project in two years or something like that. Well, I mean, so we, we have no control over what the Node.js project does, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and so they may break compatibility or do something differently from us, and we don't really have any control over that in the future. Okay. Um, what I can say is that, you know, there's 130,000 modules in NPM, and we can't break them. <laughs> we, can, yeah. we can break a couple of them at a time, maybe. We really can't break huge portions of the ecosystem. Nobody can. Um, it's it's a death, you know, to the platform if you do that. Totally. So all these improvements that we're making, a lot of them are, you know, um, they, they cause a forward compatibility ch like change where, um, you know, now there are modules in the ecosystem that require a new version of IOJS mm -hmm. because we have, you know, new API or something. But as far as breaking old API and breaking modules that work today, we just can't. Like, we really can't. Um, okay. So a lot of work goes into making sure that we don't break that kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, now we're actually following Semver as well. So when our miner increases, that's because we took on some kind of API addition. And if we had ever caused like a backwards incompatible break, you'd see our major change as well. 
And we actually do have, we have some patches under review right now that are really good changes <clears throat> that are technically breaks in compatibility that we're sort of putting off until we want to do a big major release. Mm -hmm. um, and, and these are, you know, none of these are, you know, removing an API or breaking like a huge amount of the world. You know, one of them is, is literally um, util.isObject returns true for functions right now, and it really shouldn't. Um, and so <laughs> we're changing that to return false, but it's a change in behavior. Um, and so that constitutes a major release. So. Right. Right. Okay. Um, so... I'm I'm not I'm not a hundred percent sure um, what happened or what the relationship. But I I saw some some people on Twitter basically being angry about Joyant's position towards IOJS. Is there some sort of a relationship between you guys and Joyant now, or is it total? Is there nothing going on? Uh, well, so Joyant decided to form a foundation and put the trademark and the project into the foundation. Mm -hmm. um, the foundation has two parts, right? There is the, the foundation governance. So that is the board of directors that runs the foundation and approves the budget. Um, and that is made out of members, like paying dues members. Um, and then there is the technical project governance and they're very separate. So, um, you know, the people donating money can't go in and tell people what to commit. Like, this is very <laughs> intentional. Mm -hmm. Um, now the technical project governance side is not there yet. They don't have a technical governance structure. Um, they, they just haven't produced one yet. Um, we, we sat down with them about potentially, um, reconciling before they made the announcement about the foundation. And, and this was the big point was that, you know, we need this. And, and we asked them to just take ours because if they just take our governance model and we sort of just merge the people that are working on all of this stuff, um, it's a really easy path towards reconciliation. Um, but so far they have not agreed to do that. Um, but we're still talking with them. Like on, on everything is, all the negotiations are still ongoing mm -hmm. and it's going to take them like quite a few months to get the, the foundation really up and rolling. Um, so yeah, that's that's sort of the status with us and the foundation. And and the the really big change though from that is that it's not like we need to be talking with Joyant. We need to be talking with the foundation, right? Like now there is this independent party um, that is going to be in control of the assets. We 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 will sit down and, and sort of try to reconcile with the foundation. Um, and as far as IOJS is concerned, like you know we we can talk with them, um, but any kind of like official vote about something happening will have to happen publicly and there will have to be like an official public discussion period. Right. Um, like that's what <clears throat> our process is for the IOJS project. It's what's allowed us to be successful is having all this openness and all this community participation. So mm -hmm. we're definitely going to continue that even through the, re the reconciliation effort. Okay, cool. So basically, um, so that sounds good. So basically everybody who is using like, node because i'm working with a lot of people who use node as you know just a platform to to run their build tools on mm -hmm. you know for, yeah, for yeah. Their projects and stuff like that so for for people like that it's no problem to just use iojs if they want to yeah it really shouldn't be um yeah. and if there are any issues uh, let me know okay. i actually ran into a thing the other day where uh, node 010 gulp scripts like were not were messed up actually and then when i updated to iojs they were fixed and i was like this is insane how did this happen um <laughs> but um yeah yeah i mean there's um there's certainly some modules that because it's a new v8 there's certain modules that haven't caught up yet 
Um, but this is the same amount of breakage that happened between uh, node 010 and node 012. So, you know, if the, the choice would really be between 012 and IOJS. If, if you have to stick on 010, then you have to stick on 010. And that's understandable. Like, we're going to be supporting 010 for quite a while. Um, but uh, I don't know. If, if, obviously, I'm biased. But if you were going to make the jump, I would jump to IOJS and not to Node. Um, because we just have more fixes. We have like we have more stability changes. We have more bug fixes. We they disabled a bunch of tests before their last release that we've actually fixed the <clears throat> the intermittent failures in. So um, yeah, I feel like it's just a lot more solid. And we are updating more regularly, and we have more regular releases. But a lot like the mass majority of the work that goes in those releases is bug fixes and stability changes and mm. performance improvements. So it also just sounds like you just have way more people. Oh yeah, it. yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, uh, the TC has grown to. Um, well, I mean, we have ten people in each meeting, but it's uh, I think seven are voting, and three are non-voting, mm -hmm. and then um, I, I think the list of contributors is like over thirty now. So there's like er, er, of committers. So there's like more than thirty active committers, I believe now, um, or maybe that's after um, Chris is doing another onboarding, like in the next few days. Okay. Um, but you know, on average, I think we're adding about like four people a week to the to the commit access log. So. That's, that's amazing. Um, I mean, we've never had this many active contributors to core before. And that's just core core. Like, that's just, like, actual IOJS slash IO.js project. That's not even uh, the readable stream project, which gets bundled in, or the build project, uh, which runs all the build, or even, you know, the the tracing working group part that's working on um, uh, async listener. So. Yeah, that's amazing. That's a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and also, I I forgot the website working group like that. I, I spend a ton of my time on. Um, so yeah, yeah. There's also like a, a the people that maintain the website like really don't work on core at all. Um, and uh, there's a bunch of them and the internationalizers and all that kind of stuff. And now we just spun up a new evangelism working group as well. So okay, so that means people. It's for people who just want to promote it, who want to be active as a evangelists or developer advocates. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of it is about. Um, so we have to maintain all of the social media, but um, mm -hmm. the we've been using social media in this really effective way, where we've always struggled with how to reach. Like these people that you're talking about, they just use it for their build tooling, right? They they run like Grunt or Gulp scripts or something for their front end assets. Yeah. Um, we've never really been able to reach those people and get their feedback. Like we've been really bad at it historically mm -hmm. um, because the, the skill set to work on core is so different from the skill set of people that are using it in that way. Yeah. But that is But those people that you're talking about are like more than half of the people that use Node. Um, right. So we really want to reach them and bring them into certain aspects of the project. So we, we've got everybody, you know, what is your biggest complaint? We got that and, and merged a lot of that work into the roadmap. Um, and now we're sort of trying to continually do that through social media where we like continually do outreach for, hey, this thing is coming up that you might be interested in. And then we get a lot of people participating in it that wouldn't have participated otherwise, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, if you only care about this little thing in streams, you only care about tracing, <clears throat> it's really like too much to try and watch the whole repo and watch all the issues that are going on. Um, so we've, we've done a great job with social media of like getting people like that involved. Um, and also just every time that somebody complains, we respond to it, we feed it into an issue. Um, so there's really like a, a back and forth with a larger amount of the community than there was before. So that's a lot of what the evangelism effort is. Um, also, you know, we want to maintain a good roster of people that can talk about IOJS and, mm -hmm. and give them and give them slides. And then also this is just, you know, really brand new. Like allow the internationalization community um, to localize the slides 
um, and also maintain their own lists of people that can speak in those languages, right? Ah, um, mm-hmm. yeah, awesome, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very interesting. More than fifty percent use it for just building stuff. It's very interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like uh, all by all the accounts that I have, it's definitely over half of the usage is is for front end builds. Hmm. Yeah. Well, it is awesome. So yeah, <laughs> it it's like it's a revolution basically for front end developers. Well, so hilariously, um, in that first Node Conf that I did in 2010, we had a panel with uh, Ryan Dahl and Paul Querna and Isaac Schluter. And we sort of asked them, what shouldn't people use Node for? Like, this is when Node was still very new. Like, what should you not use it for? What's it bad at? Basically, what they said is, like, you shouldn't use it to build a database, and you shouldn't use it to, to do, like, shell scripty stuff and build, and build stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and so those are both, like, two of the biggest communities yeah. right now around <laughs> Node stuff. <laughs> so let's do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Crazy. And what was the reasoning why not? Um, I mean, so for the, on the build side, it was because, um, you know, doing every piece of IO async can be kind of annoying when you just want to do a set of um, serial, or, yeah, ser- a series of build commands, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that was our main complaint there. Um, and that's still sort of annoying, but I think that um, it's far more annoying to context switch to another language, and it's far more annoying um, to deal with some of the, the performance um, problems in other languages uh, mm-hmm. where you don't have concurrency when you actually want to build a lot of assets all at once. So um, it ended up being more efficient to actually do that stuff in Node for a variety of reasons. Um, on the database side, it was really because um, the lack of... Whoa, sorry, that's a, that's a little loud next door. <laughs> um, uh, it was a lack of like 64-bit integers and... Um, some of the like you want to be really close to the file system you want to write like a, you want to write in c when you're actually dumping out to the last file writer mm-hmm. um and mo- all databases eventually end up writing their writer in c um like even couch to be found this when they ended up merging with Couchbase. like they, they still do all the network stuff in erlang but they actually rewrote the the whole file writer to be in c because you just you have to um mm. so what ended up happening though is that level db came out um like this google project that uh, is you know a fantastic sort of uh, Berkeley DB style embeddable database, mm-hmm. and uh, it provided all of those primitives that we would have had to write um, in pure JavaScript, and then we just bound to them, and then this whole ecosystem got built on top of you know all of that stuff mm. um, because it became like all of the modularity in the ecosystem allowed us to go oh okay well I need to plug a Bloom filter in here well I have three Bloom filters to choose from awesome you know mm-hmm. I you know. I want to do replication. Well, what kind of replication? And then, you know, I can plug different modules in for all that. Um, and then Rod did this very smart thing where he actually abstracted the layer that you connected the database at so that you could do different backends. So now you're not just using LevelDB, you're using like, you know, the hyperdex fork of LevelDB or, you know, the a, a different file writer written from scratch. Um, and, uh, you know, somebody even wrote one that, you know, dumps to Postgres and actually writes, ends up writing to Postgres. And, you know, there's, um, and also it ended up, people can write to the browser stuff, right? So you can write one on, t- you can browserify everything and your end file writer can be, uh, you know, local storage or um, index database um, and all of that. And it now PouchDB has even moved to that model where they're using NPM and, and the sort of level um, layers in order to, to build out a PouchDB. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Awesome. Um, let me see. What's I have some stuff written down here. Um, 
No, so so this is basically that's that were like the big, biggest questions I had on uh, for for IOJS. So how's it? How, when when can um so um yeah so where do I go if I wanna if I wanna help out or I wanna work on IOJS? <laughs> uh, it really depends where you want to help out. Um, okay. So I mean, if you want to do uh, localizations, there's there's probably already a community around your language, so you can just get out involved there. Usually, their readme has steps about how to get involved. Um, if you you know want to help out with the website, we're we're about to go through a new redesign. Um, that's GitHub.com/slash/iojs/slash/website. Um, then, uh, if you want to get involved in evangelism, there's you know iojs/evangelism. If you want to work on uh, really like core code, um, that is uh, iojs slash io.js. Um, uh, also, we, we're continually doing work to reach out to a broader community to get feedback into our roadmap. Um, and that work is being organized under a repo called Roadmap, so iojs slash roadmap. Um, I'm sure that I'm forgetting a bunch. <clears throat> yeah, so really basically, involved in, basically you yeah. can just go to the GitHub, to the IOJS GitHub, and then just have a look at the repos and see what what is. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and if you want to get a good yes. sense of um, what what we're working on, where we're going, what's really important, and sort of like the individual places to get involved in those projects, um, you can go to uh, roadmap.iojs.org. And that is actually a slide deck. Uh, but in, in But embedded in the slide deck is just a ton of uh, links to all kinds of stuff so i'm sorry you, you just cut out so i didn't get the last part there's a slide deck for what was that oh there's a slide deck for our roadmap um so it's it's sort of like all of the really pressing uh important immediate stuff that we're working on and uh if you want to get involved in any part of that work each slide has links to, to how to get involved so okay cool and uh, and what's coming up? What's coming up next uh, in the next? Uh, so basically, you're gonna do a, a redesign for the for the website. Is this gonna be? Is the? Um, is there gonna be a lot of documentation? What What are you gonna do with the website? Do uh, well, know? documentation is is really getting improved uh, concurrently, um, and there's a lot of people working on that, including on tr uh, translations for that. Um, that's a little different from the main website, which is really just um, a promotional tool, like. Right. Hey, this is what IOJS is. Um, there's a very popular page that's really important about ES6 support in IOJS and, and where we're at and how to get access to all of the ES6 support. Mm -hmm. uh, what we have, what we don't have, what's behind flags, what are those flags, all that information. Mm -hmm. That all comes um, with V8, right? Yeah, yeah. But uh, V8 doesn't document it in like a human readable way. So okay. <laughs> it's, it's on us to do that. Okay. Um, awesome. So um, okay, so I think that's that's it for the for the interview part, and I would like to go to the to the picks. Cool. Uh, um, so this works is like um, you start, you give me your first pick, and tell me what it is, and then I'll do mine, and then we go back and forth like that. So what is your first pick? Uh, so my first pick is um, uh, it's Twyla Tharp. So Twyla Tharp is a uh, she's a choreographer. Uh, but she's written two just amazing books um, about productivity kind of in general. So one is called The Creative Habit. And really what it is is um, uh, her habits and the habits of other creative people that she knows that allow you to be consistently creative. So if you work in a creative industry, it, it, it is a job. You have to get up every day and do it over and over again. And we think of it like it's just this muse that comes in and then leaves. Um, so she has this great book about how to 
um, turn a lot of your habits into rituals and uh, put yourself in the right state of mind always to, to be creative. Um, that's a great book. Um, she did another one uh, called The Collaborative Habit, which is very similar, um, but about collaborating with other people and about how to in, like bring out that collaboration with other people. So, wow, Both awesome. are great. Yeah. So did you try out some of those things that she's talking about? Yeah, I've read both of her books and they're, they're both fantastic. Yeah. I mean, do you like apply some of that? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I, I'm on and off with it. Uh, traveling a lot really puts a wrench into a lot of the, like turning a lot of your habits into rituals and really doing them every day and then getting into the same state of mind. <clears throat> very, very hard when you travel a lot. Cause, oh, yeah. um, and, and, and even when you get home, um, you know, you're on a different sleeping schedule and da, da, da. So Yeah, but I have um, I actually have things that I do when I travel, no matter where I travel, um, that like they're more consistent and maybe even than the stuff that I do when I'm home. So you know, every time that I check into a hotel room, I actually like hang up all of my clothes and put them into stuff and like move in, even mm -hmm. if I'm only there for a day. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I travel with like an absurd amount of coffee gear, and every day, every morning, I wake up and like make my coffee there and like get into the the right state of mind. And um, usually, I'll do like calisthenics or yoga or something in the morning as well inside of the hotel room. So yeah, cool. Yeah. I think that's uh, it's it's uh, super hard to do when you travel, but it's also very important, I guess, just to stay to stay say, sane and in the right mind frame. Yeah, and like doing some kind of light workout or yoga is really important because your body will just start to fall apart when you're traveling and sitting yeah. in planes for 14 hours at a time. Yeah, because you're just sitting around all the time. It's yeah, terrible. yeah, it's really bad. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, my first pick is um, something called Awesome Pleat. So this is this is um, a little JavaScript, a little JavaScript. Um, uh, yeah, it's an autocomplete module basically for the browser, and and uh, it's very tiny. It's by Leah Veru, and she did it. And she just released it recently, I think last week or this week or something like that. <clears throat> and it uses data data list this uh, HTML element for for the list of options that you have and. Um, And it's uh, super lightweight, super customizable, and very, very simple. And it, it really, I, for some reason, that was just something that was missing. Like even though there's there's all those auto like jQuery plugins that do all this, you know, autocomplete stuff, but it's just too much. And um, and this thing is really tiny, and uh, and I mean, it only only works really in 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 the evergreen browsers, but um, it looks really really well done. And um, yeah, that's my pick. Um, what's your second pick? Oh, um, so yeah, I'm really into coffee and, um, uh, I, for years I really didn't like blue bottle. Um, like they, they were just burning it and I just wasn't compatible with their palette. But in the last year they've gotten really amazing, um, both with their sourcing and with their roasting. Um, so I actually just, uh, got it, got on their subscription mailing thing. They're, they're down the street from me, but I still need them to send it to me consistently every month in order to get it. Um, okay. so, uh, but like, so if you go to blue bottles website, um, you can sign up for like every week or every two weeks getting, Uh, they're really good single origin stuff. So don't get any of their other subscriptions, only get their single origin select stuff. Uh, but it's fantastic and really consistent and the shipping is, is really cheap. So. Cool. So what kind of coffee do you make? Is it like an espresso or 
Or do you make a... Um, so I just bought a very expensive espresso machine, actually, for the event space, but it's not plumbed in yet, so I'm not really doing espresso. Um, usually, actually, I, I do a Chemex every morning. Um, what is that? Uh, so, uh, Chemex is um, it's sort of a, like a large vase uh, that you do, like a filter in. It's just filter coffee, um, oh, okay. like a V60 or something like that. But um, you get like a bigger bloom and, and just like... Um, I was doing smaller uh, V60s for like quite a while, um, but now I really prefer to just do a Chemex every time. Um, yeah, it's great. Do uh, 16 grams of coffee to uh, 300 grams of water, and it's very good. Cool. Um, so my second pick is is the Load Grunt Config module, which is just a little module that you can use if you use Grunt. And uh, and because last week I had I had to refactor a Grunt file that was I had like 800 lines or more, 800 or more lines of code in there, and I got it down to uh, 100 because you can you can just uh, you can just put all your task config configuration into um, into in individual files, and there you can just export, you know, an object with the task configuration, and it just takes the 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 name of the file as the task name, task name, and it's just in a grunt folder, and that's where it belongs. And then you can basically just build in the grunt file, just build your little API with your ta with your um, the tasks you registered or whatever, and uh, that's just a really a great help and you can use the just-in-time grunt module to to only load the plugins you need for the specific tasks you do and that was really really helpful and uh yeah i i used it this week and it was fantastic so that's my second pick and uh what's your third pick uh, so my third pick, uh, so I imagine most of the people listening know about Jen Schiffer. She's hilarious, um, and she you can is. follow her on Twitter. Um, and people probably read CSS Perverts, <laughs> which is like her, her satire stuff um, on Medium. But um, I, I really love, uh, she has a blog called negativitysandwiches.com, um, which is more of like kind of a Tumblr thing. But it's mostly 8-bit art that she does, uh, which is all really good. And then kind of like random pictures and things like that as well. Um, but they're all like really funny and, and really kind of weird conceptual art um, and super fun. So check it out. Cool. NegativitySandwiches.com. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I'm going to link it up in the show notes. Um, my third one is the is an article about the, the new router in Angular, which is going to be... I think you can test it now. And um, yeah, it's by, by a guy called Pascal Precht, who is pretty active in that community. And he, he wrote a very comprehensive article about uh, the Angular router, which is the, the new one, basically, that for, for Angular 2.0, which um, if you have to work with Angular, which most front-end developers nowadays uh, will have to, I guess, uh, touch every now and then if you do client work, because it has become so popular. Um, that's a that's a good article to to get up to date. Um, what is your music pick? What is my music pick? Um, you know what? Um, I'm gonna pick uh, Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Um, I was uh, I was recently in New York, and uh, John Cameron Mitchell, the original Hedwig, was uh, back into the Broadway production, uh, playing Hedwig again for I think the first time in like ten years. Um, but Hedwig is like an it was like an off Broadway sensation punk rock um, 
like transgender musical. It's just it's amazing, and the music is amazing in it. Um, and the the original motion picture soundtrack is definitely like the highest quality audio. Uh, but they also, you can also get the original off-Broadway live version. Uh, and now, when the Broadway version opened, it had Neil Patrick Harris in the lead. And so there's also a, a version of the, the whole album that Neil Patrick Harris is in the lead for. Uh, and it's fantastic. Uh, I've had a lot of the songs stuck in my head for uh, like a month now. Folks from the earth, like big rolling kegs, they had two sets of arms, they had Two sets of legs they had Two faces peering out of one giant head So they could watch all around them As they talked while they read And they never knew nothing of love It was before Cool. Yeah, um, uh, so my music pick is... Um well, this is this is actually a little bit uh, embarrassing because it is, <laughs> it's a it's a German hip hop track, and um, and it's it's really actually uh, the the artist is is like a is like you know like the equivalent of gangster rap to you know like American gangster rap. It, it, he's 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 like German gangster rap basically, and <laughs> and. Um, he uh, and and we have this type of rap here since a few years and um and he is um uh, the impression of what i've heard because i've also heard you know of from people that were actually on tour with him and stuff like that he seems to be actually authentically <laughs> some sort of a gangster and uh and it's just a it's yeah i mean people this this track I really it's just I, I don't listen to that music normally but this kind this track I really enjoy it's um, very well produced and it's um, uh, it's it's pretty it's pretty it's a little dark and it's very high energy and um, yeah it, it, the guy's called Haftbefehl and uh, it's a feature with Materia which is also a German rapper and the track's called Ich rolle mit meinem Besten which just means I I roll with my best friend. And uh, they're rapping about how they they are they're rolling around in the city and, and selling crack, basically. But uh, So I'm not very proud of the content of the track, but I, I, it's like a guilty pleasure. Like I really enjoy the track, so I, I, I have to, I have to pick it. Um, yeah. So this is the end of the podcast. So where can the people, if people want to get in touch with you or know know more about you, where do where do they go? I think the easiest place is just Twitter. So twitter.com slash M-I-K-E-A-L. 
Uh, that's also my handle on GitHub uh, if you want to check out my GitHub stuff. And then uh, Michael Rogers at M-I-K-E-A-L-R-O-G-E-R-S dot uh, com is, is also where you can find some stuff. There you can get linked to like, you know, the stuff that I did on Medium and, and articles that I've written there and kind of everything. So Cool. Uh, my, that's a very unusual way to write Michael, right? Yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, it's not actually ethnic in any way. It's just my parents were hippies and made up a spelling. <laughs> That's all. That's awesome. Uh, there's actually somebody who is who is spelled M I K A E L on Twitter as well, because I mistyped it today. I randomly I grew up with a kid in elementary school that spelled it that way, and <laughs> like it was so weird that we were both in a class together when we had such unusual spellings. But yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, cool. Well. Um, uh, I want to thank everybody for listening. If you uh, uh, you can find all the show notes for this episode on descriptive.audio slash episodes slash 12. If you have any feedback or guest requests, hit me up on Twitter at DescriptivePod or use the feedback form on the website. Michael, thank you very much for coming on. It was a pleasure to have you. Thank you.